it seems so intimidating to me. Like this idea of um, buying a car in a distant land, where do you even go? Do they have an auto trader? Like how does this even work? Hey, I'm Steve. And I'm Lance. We're Curious Car Guys. Welcome to Launch Control. Welcome back to Launch Control. I'm Steve. I've got my friend Lance here. And we're Hello. here to talk about cars, car culture, and uh, we're kicking off a series on importing cars from Japan that are 25 years old. Yeah. So lots of, uh, this is going to be, this is going to be education for you, Lance, and yeah. by proxy our audience because you've never done it. I've, I'm on my fourth one yeah. now, my fourth car that I've imported from Japan. Yeah. Um, and so... I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. I just, it seems so intimidating to me. Like Like, this idea of um, buying a car in a distant land. Where do you even go? Do they have an auto trader? Like how does this even work? Sure. And then how do I buy, it's bad enough buying something stateside and thinking like you're going to get a car that's misrepresented or this and that. How do you, how do I know I'm not getting a junker from Japan and I can't give it back and so on. So And then all the regulations. I mean, you heard about companies like Motorex who would bring in cars and federalize them, but you know, other people that would bring in cars that were not federalized and they get crushed. Or even this, Motorex that. would not federalize them. Yeah. There's a whole that that's another episode. But yeah, so I'm here yeah. to help disambiguate that whole process for yeah. you. And it's interesting, as we were recording earlier today, I literally got from my cargo company my notice of arrival. Yeah. So this is the document that says, "Hey, your your vehicle is scheduled to arrive at the port. You owe us a couple bucks for for the effort of uh, bringing it over here and come and get it on such and such a day." So they'll uh, they'll find that update on your Instagram, I'm sure. Yeah, check me out Gallo Twenty Four GTR on Instagram. You'll see a little bit more about my car importing yeah. ventures over the last six months or so um, and other things as well. And if you want to see my antics, I'm at Inside the Rim and uh, you can get either of us and then uh, you'll see uh, one that's specific for the podcast here in a minute. So talk to me a little bit about how you even got started importing. Yeah. So like a lot of my car activities, it's uh, I, I saw something that somebody was doing and I figured if that guy could figure it out, I can probably figure it out. Yeah. And that goes uh, a lot for like the wrenching and just diving in under the hood of my cars mm-hmm. uh, with with a lack of abandon. Yeah. <laughs> and, Which uh, I'm scared to do too. And uh, and and importing parts. I had a, a little side hustle years ago importing just crates of car parts from Japan uh, yeah. that I would get off of. Um, what is basically Japan's equivalent of eBay, which is Yahoo yeah. auctions, um, and and so yeah, it just got bigger and bigger to the point where now I'm bringing over full cars. Huh. So um, so that's where we're at. So um, how I got started though was I bought my first Nissan Skyline in 2014, just when the R32 GTR was becoming legal under the 25 year rule. Okay. And was that just a matter of timing, or had you always wanted that car? No, um, both. So I uh, had sold my fun car several months before, and I had a a little bit of play money from that sale to to work with, and I was looking for what's next, and I thought it was going to be a 911. Yeah. So I was looking at 911s for months, uh, thought I was going to end up in a 996 Turbo or something like that, kind of in that price range. Sure. Um, which that price range has changed, by the way, yeah. over the last five years. But uh, but at the time, that was in the budget. And um, I saw an article, I think, online 
that talked about how the Skyline, the R32 GTR, was about to become legal under the 25-year rule. Yeah. And I was like, well, holy crap, that's like in just a few months. Yeah. I love that car. I've always, yeah. it's like the, it's been the forbidden fruit from Japan for, ever since I picked up Gran Turismo that, 1 on my PlayStation. Found, yeah. <laughs> that's my the, first exposure to the car the was Cal that. Sonic, yeah, Group yeah. A car. And yeah. so I'm like, wow, I can actually get one of these now. Yeah. So um, I just started searching and doing research. And what I found was there are, um, at, at the time, there were several reputable importers. Okay. Who, um, who could find you one. And, and these are importers deal. that did business stateside. Stateside, yeah. Okay. And I didn't know anything about the process of importing or what their business was. I didn't know where they were getting the cars from. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that there are multiple ways of sourcing these cars in Japan. Um, and so I was kind of a little bit at their mercy. And what I did was I just reached out to three of these importers who would give me a response and felt like they were giving me good customer service. Yeah. And I told them what I was looking for and what my budget was. And um, basically the first one to fulfill my desires was the one that I went with. Yeah. Um, and that ended up being Japanese classics out of Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Um, and Chris over there, what I really like about him as I talked to him over time was his MO was to actually go to Japan and see the cars in person. Got it. Um, and the particular car that he got from me came from the previous owner. So he oh, nice. literally didn't go to a dealership, yeah. didn't, didn't go to an auction. He yeah. went to the guy's house. Oh, wow. Met him. See, that's what I feel like. Yeah. That was part of the intimidation factor for me. Right. I didn't know about that layer of stateside importers. I thought I had to be the guy to go to Japan, right. check out the car if I really wanted to scope it out. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how am I ever going to do that? Yeah, so there's a number. I mean, everybody and their, and their brother imports cars from Japan now. Um, and one of the reasons why we're talking about this is because all of those guys, much like myself, have kind of had to figure it out as we go. Sure. There's not a YouTube video yeah. on how to. There's not a. There's not a wiki article on how to import a 25 year old car yeah. because the people who figure it out, they realize, well, crap. If I do 10 cars, I can do 20 to 50 grand profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's profit to be made. Sure. Um, my speaking from experience, like I've bought four cars from yeah. Japan, in addition to the R32 GTR I had and with the specific intent of flipping them for profit. Yeah. And it's working. So, yeah. but but I don't plan on doing it as my day job. I'm not gonna right. make a living out of it. As a right. matter of fact, I'm kind of, with as much as I've got going on between what my what is my day job and family and hobbies, um, I'm kind of not planning on doing it yeah. that much anymore yeah. after these four. So I just wanna make the information publicly available. Yeah. And I want people who are willing to take the time and willing to um, really learn the process mm -hmm. to be able to save two to $5,000 on yeah. the car they want. Um, or if they want to start their own business doing, if you want sure. to make that your day job, then at least you got a foundation to do it. I yeah. think for me, it'd be, as the guy who's never done it before, I would want to try it, yeah. you know, but I want to try it with somebody that has done it before and yeah. can kind of be like, well, hey, you're about to make a big misstep here. Yeah. Because um, I tend to be a little bit more risk averse. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I am too, which is yeah. the weird thing. Like in my experience of diving into things, I am a very cautious person yeah. and, and, and conservative when it comes to these things. Um, but uh, I also, ju I just, there's certain areas of car life that I know are intimidating, yep. but somebody else has done it, and yep. I, 
I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I, I think I'm a capable person. Yeah. And I look at somebody and I'm like, well, if he can figure it out, then I can figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I've had a lot of help along the way, too. I'm not sure. trying to say that I figured this out with no assistance, right? Like, there's a community of Skyline owners that I belong to, yeah. all of whom are, well, most of whom are <laughs> very mature and friendly and helpful. Yeah. So, um, so I've had help along the way. Yeah. Um, and I've been... Uh, given some connections with people who know what they're doing and who've been able to give me information. And so now I'm sharing that information. Yeah. So if you're listening and, and you're really interested in doing something like this, you know, take it from Steve and take it from me in other areas. Uh, it's, it's not a whole lot about how smart you are having a higher IQ than the people, everybody around you it has more to do with how much work you're going to put into it and how careful you're going to be. Yeah. Um, cause you can make it work. Yeah, it is. It is about the work. It's about, um, it's about learning. It's about double checking, making sure you're getting information from good sources. Yeah. Um, and and you can start alleviating some of the risk associated with doing this. Okay. So as we kind of venture into this, let's talk about uh, even before a listener would say, yeah, I'm going to give this a go. What kind of person should you be? Yeah. And what kind of person should you probably not? Yeah. It doesn't fit into the mold of yep. being able to do this and be good at it. Okay. Well, the first thing I can think of is it takes some money, right? Like yeah. you can't uh, finance a car that you're buying from Japan. You can't find somebody who's gonna give you a loan necessarily. Let's talk about order of magnitude. Yeah. Like what, you know, how much money should I have in the bank? Depends to- on the car, really. Okay, so you you want, um, let's say next year, in 1995 was the first uh, year of the R33 GTR. Um, so let's say in January uh, next year in 2020, you wanna bring over a 25-year-old R33 GTR. You probably would be wise to have forty-five, forty to forty-five thousand oh, dollars liquid. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that so that covers that would cover the purchase of the car, the shipping of the car. That's basically everything to get it into your driveway. Okay. Um, and that's based on prices that I'm seeing today. Um, and this going up in the market, and it's going to go up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, we'll talk about this a little bit later on some of the d- decisions I made on the R33s I've imported, but you'd probably be wise to buy it today. So that's if you're going for like a GTR or Skyline. Yeah. What if I, what are there like, you know, the, if I'm going by Gran Turismo cars, you got the little cappuccino, the little yeah. hatchback things. So how, what's the, what are the bookends? Like, yeah. obviously it can go crazy if I'm bringing in an NSS. Well, let's, or let's talk about MR2, right? Yeah. Like, so when I was at the port picking up the 33 that I'm about to list on Bring a Trailer, um, it was parked right next to a second gen MR2 turbo. Yeah. Um, and that car was clapped out, man. It was a it was a, oh, yeah. a bucket. Yeah. Okay. But um, you can get a clean second gen MR2 turbo in your driveway probably for eight or nine grand. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah. Um, you know, not too much more. That's nine than grand all in or nine grand for the price of the car? Nine grand all in in your driveway. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Um, for an average condition one. Yeah. You know, just like any car, even cars here that are already in domestic, the the price varies with the okay. condition. So you can go anywhere, let's just say about 10 to 15 grand to start with if you want anything that's kind of decent and not like a little, you know, mousetrap car. Yeah. Right? Well, do your research, right? And see what you want, right? Like if you want a really clean right-hand drive Unos Roadster, which is the equivalent of the Miata here. Mm-hmm. Um, you you could probably start with a little less than that. Okay. Right? Yeah. All right. Uh, if you want an R33 GTR or an NSX or something like that, well, yeah. you're gonna you're just gonna need to look and see what the market looks like for those cars. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, don't drink as much Starbucks. Don't spend as much on Fortnite. Sit, <laughs> you know. Don't buy. Don't buy so many V bucks, and you'll yeah. be good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's definitely for somebody who has the means to to pay cash for the car. Okay. Um, and it's not going to strap you out. Um, I would say if you feel like you want a nice S thirteen, and um, you you know you want a right hand drive one eighty or something like that, yeah. and you only have eleven grand in the world. Um, and it's going to cost about eleven grand to get yeah. it in your driveway. You don't want to do it. That's a larger conversation. Yeah. That's a big. Well, yeah, don't because put it, don't put all of it into. It. Don't put your whole life savings into it. And if it doesn't work out, you don't because shot. there is still that unknown factor of okay. When I get the car, at minimum, I need four new tires. Yeah. Because the tires they put on cars in Japan are not street legal in America. They don't. Oh, they're okay. not. They're not DOT approved for use on American yeah, roads. I didn't even think about that. Right. Okay. Yeah, and who would? So, um, so at minimum, and when I all of the cars that I bring over. For resale, the first thing I do is put four new tires on them, yep. do an oil change, and then do a general inspection to see what else it might need. Okay, so um, have a little cash in the bank. Have some cash. Have a couple grand in the bank buffer. Yeah. Beyond the purchase price, the shipping price, and the and the cost of um, registering and applying for a title. Okay. All right. So, what else? What, what else should I? Be, what what other characteristics should I have if I'm going to take this on? Definitely need to be somebody who's organized and okay. um, detail-oriented. And I'll tell you, there are multitudes of documents and paperworks that need to be filed. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a number of different parties you'll be working with in terms of the exporter in Japan yeah. who's actually facilitating the transaction and getting it onto a ship. You've got your broker in America who is required on your end to file the appropriate bonds and paperwork with customs to get it cleared. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these guys are busy and they're doing multiple, like from your exporter is dealing with a bunch of, you know, JDM fanboy tire kickers, always emailing them and messaging them on WhatsApp and whatever. So they, yeah. your exporter could potentially, you know, lose track of did he get you the translation of your export certificate or okay. not? You need to be you need to be on these guys is basically yeah. what I'm saying. So I can't just hand it off to an importer and just say you take care of everything and not worry about it. You want to be the type of person that gets into the details. Well, yeah, you're going to be your own importer, and that's okay. the, that's the whole point. You could just go to Japanese Classics like I did with my first Skyline and yeah. buy something they already have. It's okay. already imported. And then you don't have to mess with any of it. Then you don't have to it's do like anything. Buying a car here. It's literally already an imported and titled car in the state okay. of Virginia with those guys so um it's just like any other used car at that point got it i think they even can connect you i'm not going to speak on behalf of them but some importers will connect you with a bank that could even finance the car okay um there are some um collector car financing companies out there that you can use so if you're going to deal with an importer stateside um that's a different conversation there's really no conversation what we're talking about is you are your own importer got it yeah okay Okay, so be yeah. So there, there's a process. There's a lot of paperwork. Yes. Um, would you say that it's complicated paperwork that you need to really be um, well versed in something, or is it like it's a simple process, just has a lot of steps, and you need to stay on top of it? Yeah, it's it's easy, right? But it's not simple. Okay, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's not difficult, right? Yeah. It's just 
um, there's a, just a lot of moving parts. Got it. And, and there's a certain order things need to happen yeah. in some steps. Um, and, um, you know, some of it, once you get the car into your possession, some of it is based on the state. And I'll just say up front, my experience is with Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have experience with other states. I'm sure it's fairly similar across the board. But there are, like, there's, there's one particular um, document that Texas requires you to do that I don't know other states require you. And we'll talk about that when we get to that. Okay. Step by step yep. phase of the process. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's it's easy. Uh, it's just you need to know everything that needs to happen and what order it needs to happen, and and then you need to be the type of person who's going to stay on it. Like for example, I, I mentioned earlier, I got this uh, notice of arrival today via email. Mm-hmm. I had put on my calendar like a month ago, literally for today. A reminder to myself to check on the notice of arrival because yeah. I knew that if it didn't show up in my inbox today, that I need to go hunting it for it. And the reason why is because the last car I imported, it it didn't hit my inbox when it should have. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have this notice of arrival, I can't pay the shipping company what balance they're due, which means I can't go get the car released from the port, which means a lot of it, it kind of snowballs from yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So have a little money in the bank. Yep. Uh, be, be detail some, oriented. Yeah, you have project manager tendencies, right? You I think want to so. follow a process. You want yeah. to make sure your eyes are. Which dotted. I think any, if we're honest, everybody who wants something enough, yeah, is going they to get be, in that mode. Yeah, so you have to really want it, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, that's another characteristic. Right? You better like, really don't want just it. be a tire kicker. Yeah, you have to. If you're going to start going down this road, yeah, know that you're in for a really kind of fun, rewarding journey, but yeah. you need to really want it because it's going to be somewhere. I mean, you're, you think about it, you're saving two to $5,000 over what you would pay an importer for the car. Yeah. Well, what are you willing to do for that's worth two to, how much work for you is worth two to $5,000 savings? That's a lot of yeah. money to save on, oh, yeah. on a used car. So, yeah. you know, you got to be ready to do a little bit of grind and a yeah. little bit of hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think... Um, we're going to have to split this up over the course of several episodes of this podcast yeah. because there are. I'm looking at my my cheat sheet here, and there's one, two, three, four, five, like six topics in general that we can break this down into. I don't think we're going to do it over six episodes. Yeah. That would be way too granular. Um, but I think we can focus at least for today on where do you find a car? Yeah. Um, and and maybe once you found the car you want, what is the next best step? to deciding whether or not that's the car you're gonna buy. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get that far. Okay. Um, so uh, there's a, a number of different places the cars can come from, and it depends on what your contacts are in Japan. Um, what are the available options so in terms of contacts? Auction. Okay. auction is a huge source of cars that make it into America on, under the 25-year rule. Now, auctions there are a little bit different than auctions here, so talk to me a little bit about that. Like okay. the kinds of cars you see and the it's conditioner. Just, and so one thing that I love about the the culture of cars, not just not like car enthusiast culture, but just the culture of automobile ownership in Japan, um, as it's it's not it's almost stereotypical in terms of how buttoned up they are and how fastidious they are about making sure details are accurate. Right. Yeah. So um, auctions in Japan feature a wide diversity of quality of cars from just junkers that are rusted out and in you know poor condition mm-hmm. and beat up um, to really clean pristine model you know low mileage cars they all make it through auctions in Japan yeah um, and so one of the things that I love about that process is there's this auction sheet that accompanies every car 
And it's the job of the person at the auction house who fills out that auction sheet to make it as accurate as possible for two reasons. Number one, a lot of the buyers who are buying at auction are doing it not having seen the car and put their hands on car. They're doing it remotely. They're doing it through these auction uh, interfaces where the bidding happens. Uh, You may have seen it on on Mm -hmm. various shows. I think Top Gear went to an auction at some point in Japan. Yeah, it was just like one screen with this matrix of cars and it's just It almost looks like a casino slot machine game, right? Like, and you're like, did I I buy that car? I don't understand what just happened. So I've never done that. Mm -hmm. Um, None of my cars have been sourced from auctions and I'll talk about why I prefer not to do that in a minute but what I do like about it is the auction sheet um, is doing the job of somebody who has a high level of accountability representing that car and its condition on that auction sheet. Yeah, and that's different because here, if you go to an auction here, it's like the signal system, red light, green light, yellow light, you know, and they don't really disclose anything. You just got, you have it's about- It's up to you, really. Yeah. Like they usually, at the auctions here, they make the cars available for you to look at it ahead of time and yeah. you've got to kind of like- Figure it out yourself. Know what you're looking at and yeah. then determine its worth. And there, it's it's uh, the sheet plays that, re- plays that um, role in yeah. terms of you not being there. And yeah. so- um, they are very, very fastidious about like every little nick and scratch and ding and yeah. mechanical issue or, or aesthetic issue that they can that they can observe yeah. gets put on that sheet. Yeah. Um, down to like I've I've been able to secure auction sheets on some cars I've seen in person. There's a there's a service we'll talk about a little bit later or maybe maybe in this episode that you can you can run a VIN. It's basically Carfax. Okay. Right. It's Japanese version of Carfax, but it's tied into the auction system. So if a car has been to auction, it'll show up on that Carfax. Oh. The photos from the auction will show up on that report and the auction sheet. Okay. And I've secured some uh, auction sheets from cars that I've sold, and. I have the car in front of me. I'm looking at the auction sheet, and it's like there's a it 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 signifies there's a scratch on the door. And I yeah. go to the door. I'm like, I didn't know there was a scratch here. And I look and like shine the light on it. I'm like, oh, holy crap, there is a little scratch yeah. right there. It's like a detailing. They're scratch. so yeah. they're so um, anal about it because yeah. they don't want the blowback to come on them as if they've misrepresented a car. Yeah. So I would say, uh, and I can't speak as an expert because I've never gotten a car from a, a Japanese auction. But what I would say is, if you are planning on going that route, it's not a bad route to go, but you need to learn how to read those auction sheets. Are they They're in, in Japanese? Oh, wah, wah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but you can still make sense of it. And yeah. so um, Google Translate, yeah, both just the, the say, mobile app, uh, yeah. the mobile app's great because you can okay. point your camera at something and it'll translate it for you. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's what you can use, but they also use a grading system um, for uh, like a, a alphanumeric grading system, like grade four is the highest quality, grade two is pretty garbage, mm-hmm. uh, grade one, you're probably not gonna want it. So, so they grade them on a scale. Sure. Um, and they have other kind of, um, standard keys in terms of marking the defects on the car. Okay. Uh, with uh, certain letters represent a scratch versus a dent versus uh, rust and yeah. other other issues. And yeah. so all of that information on how to translate a Japanese auction sheet is readily available okay. online. Yeah. So auctions are one one yep. channel or one source. Yep. What, what are my other options? Dealerships. Yeah, okay. So, um, I, all of my cars, let me, let me keep myself honest. Yes, all of the cars that I have imported to flip, so there's only been four, mm-hmm. have come from um, dealerships in Japan. Okay. So 
arguably maybe not the best bargain because those dealerships probably got them at auction, right? And they're making their markup on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I like about that um, is number one, they're easy to find. You can go on the equivalent of Auto Trader in Japan. Um, there's a couple sites that kind of aggregate all of those dealer inventories, and okay. you can just search by make, model, and year. Um, the one that I like to use is called GooNet. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's another one. Um, let me hold on. Sorry, guys. I've got my computer right here. So, and I've got it bookmarked. Go ahead and ask your next question. Yeah, I was going to say so if I'm dealing with dealerships, yeah. um, are we in the place where we're still reading Japanese characters and they talk Japanese, or are we breaking yeah. into English territory here? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, so I'll tell you the way that I like to do it. I like to peruse uh, carsensor.net is the other one that I like to use. Okay. It's, um, and I actually found the car that I have sitting in my garage right now was listed on car sensor and it wasn't on GooNet for whatever reason. Okay. Um, and um, I lucked into that one because yeah. it ended up being a pretty rare limited edition one that, that I had never heard of before and neither did my exporter. And okay. When I asked, he was like, I don't know, I've never heard of it. And then we looked into it and realized only, it was one of 300 cars that were ever made by Autech yeah. for the 1994 year. Uh, anyway, so um, it's a combination of English and Japanese. I browse using Google Chrome, which auto translates all the websites into English so you mm-hmm. can make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes down thanks, to- Thanks, Google. Yeah, thanks, Google. Yeah. You own the world. <laughs> um, when it comes down to really like when you've spent enough time understanding the market, understanding the values, and you've found a car that you either want to resell or it's just a good deal and you want it for yourself, that's when you need to get your importer involved. Okay. Or sorry, your exporter involved. You you are your own importer. And what the exporter's responsibility is, is to negotiate the deal with the seller, who in this case would be the dealership. get you any additional information that you need to make a good decision. So would an exporter actually negotiate the price on my behalf or are they just getting more detail? Nope, they'll negotiate the price. Well, I can't speak for all exporters, but the one that I use Mm -hmm. um, is uh, is really, really good. Um, I I really like him, have a good relationship with him, and he negotiates, he haggles on my behalf. Okay. Um, And I think partially because he wants to get his margin in, so (laughs) if he can make, if he can get the price down, so let's say a car is listed at $9,500, and he's like, well, I can get it for you for nine grand. Well, he, that means he's probably getting it for 8,500. He's mm-hmm. making a little bit of his margin in there. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I, I got a deal you as well. You feel good too. Yeah. yeah. So um, it works for everybody. Uh, but what I usually ask for is because these, you know, this is like the auto trader equivalent so that there's, doesn't tend to be like 80 photos of each car. It's not like uh, bring a trailer where it's really, really, really detailed, yeah. like undercarriage shots and wheel wells and yeah. shock towers and <laughs> and pinch welds and all this yeah. stuff. Um, so I go and I ask for that and they will absolutely give it to you. If your cool. exporter goes back to the dealer, they'll put it up on a lift or mm-hmm. they'll, they'll get underneath it. They'll take um, photos of all of the common rust areas or um, anything you ask them for. I, I've asked for a, a cold start and run video and oh, they've, nice. they've okay. sent that over. Um, so um, if, you, if you work with your exporter at that point to get all of the information that you f- would need to feel comfortable 
wiring to Japan $10,000 or however much it is, you definitely want to go down that road of, yeah. of getting gathering that information because this is where the risk comes into play. Rust, Japan's an island in the middle of the ocean. Mm. Rust is a huge issue Didn't in Japan. know that. Yeah. Okay. You didn't know Japan was an island? No, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> Lance, okay, let's go. Our next podcast is going to be on geography. Yeah. We're going to uh, go Geography 101. Yeah, Japan is right by <laughs> India, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, rust is a big is a big problem, um, and uh, and so you need to watch out for that and uh, and look for symptoms of that. Yeah, so okay. I always look for wheel well shots. I um, and trying to get like you know those rear arches towards the back where they tend to trap mud and snow and yeah. and start to corrode. Pinch welds under the hood. You can tell on shock towers. You can tell on firewalls, um, and even like just the details of do the hose clamps look rusty do, yeah. the, do the bolts that are holding the um you know the exhaust manifold to the head do they look rusty i guess i had this picture in my mind of you know i hear about japan being so stringent about the roadworthiness of their cars and yeah. you know if it's not up to snuff or yep. if it's past a certain age yep. so i just don't think about rust and i don't think about this and that you yeah. know i don't think about looking at hose clamps because yep. i'm thinking well hey if i'm buying a car from there and it's roadworthy then yep. it's probably in really good shape so is that it a misconception be. so not all i would I, I don't know the actual statistics but most of the vehicles going through auction are not roadworthy. Okay. So they're at auction because it would be too expensive for the previous owner to make it roadworthy, so they decided to get rid of it. But at a dealership? Dealerships will disclose whether or not it has valid um, roadworthy inspection left on it. I got it. Okay. Yeah, so if it still has its inspection. So they'll inspection, sell both. They'll sell both. Yep. Okay. And they'll tell you how much of it is left uh, in terms of how many months. And so you can reverse engineer when was the last time it passed its roadworthiness gotcha. inspection. They are very stringent. Like, so my first Skyline that I got from Japanese Classics, it still had a valid Shokken, which is their roadworthy inspection. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I, because it was purchased from the previous owner and not from a dealership and not from auction i got the a binder full of documentation which is just you never get that with okay. a car from japan but i got i got the inspection report which had all the checklists on it and okay. it's shocking it's, it's very deep it's, yeah it's like four pages of mm. they check torque on all the nuts and bolts oh, wow. and like here in america if your horn works yeah. and your car will generally stop <laughs> no blue smoke yeah and then you get a sticker yeah especially here in texas but yeah. um but over there it's like if your lower control arm bolts aren't torqued well enough you fail inspection mm -hmm. so if you can get a car that still has a valid inspection you're getting you you're you have a super high confidence level okay that that's a good car yeah. And is there like a huge price difference between cars that are still roadworthy and things that are not or yeah. cars that are not? You'll, yes, there there will be a big price difference between cars that are in good repair and cars that are older and modified and rusty and look a little bit more worse for the wear. So if I'm one of those guys that's like, hey, I'm going to be replacing the suspension. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to refresh the motor, this and that. Does that mean like a non-roadworthy car is, is still in my wheelhouse because I'm going to replace everything? Or is it still something that you would say you really should start with a roadworthy car and just replace the part you want? No, I, I would say um, in that case, if you're planning on engine swapping it and you know fully building the suspension and, and all that stuff or pulling yeah. the motor out anyway and doing like a full build on it, mm -hmm. um, I would say you can take a little bit of a risk on a car that's older and doesn't have 
a valid inspection, but you still need to check for rust. Yeah. Because rust is the silent That's killer. That's going to kill it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll find rust in weird places. Like, the there was a guy who got a skyline years ago and um, for whatever reason took the door sills off, you know, like the, the lower door sills on mm-hmm. the interior, and his tub was basically rusted all the way through in half oh, like wow. the car was in jeopardy of just falling in half right yeah. like so uh, i'm being a little dramatic but yeah. like you you really need to make sure that you're getting a quality car yeah. part of that comes from you know if a car still has its valid road roadworthiness inspection then you know the previous owner took good care of it yeah right so yeah. uh so it probably was garaged and um doesn't have rust issues. Cool. Like this, thir- the 33 that I sold uh, most recently, a few weeks ago, about a month ago, was the cleanest. Uh, people people use this phrase way too often in auction listings and for sale. <laughs> like it's a time capsule, right? Yeah. And I hate the phrase because I see it on every bring a trailer ad. Yeah. This car was a time capsule. Mm. I had to. Um, I wanted to take photos of the spare tire area. Uh, oh no, sorry. I I took the rear bumper and spoiler off because there was a little bit of shipping damage. The shipper um, had backed it into a pole, I think, and the dead center in the rear bumper was a little bit of paint damage and a little crease. So I, I had to take the bumper off. So I, of course, had to take the inner trunk liner out. I've never seen, a, I have to, I've seen cars that are like one year old that have clips missing or broken mm-hmm. or the trunk liner looks like it's been out once or twice. This car looked perfect every clip was there none of them had a scratch from a screwdriver on it like and that was just a testament to the entire vehicle it was so clean it only had twenty thousand original miles on it yeah which is low for a car in japan so you can find those gems if you a get lucky and b you know kind of know what to look for it's a combination of attributes it has low mileage that's Mm -hmm. verified on the on the Japanese version of the Carfax as yeah. as accurate. If it has low miles, if you get photos and it has no rust, well, you know that car's been parked someplace dry yeah. and has not been driven much, so it's possibly in good shape. Yeah. Okay. So goo goo net goo net. I use the English version, which is goo dash net dash exchange dot com dot com. And then car sensor is that car sensor said? is c a r s e n s o r dot net. Okay, so that's and, where I would start my search. If I feel like I'm a I'm I'm the kind of guy that is responsible enough and has enough money to get going on this, just start browsing. Browsing. And I would there. say don't you know, don't browse today thinking you're going to find a car today that yeah. you're going to call an exporter and have them ask for more pictures of. Yeah, you need to spend several weeks going every day for 15 minutes and looking at the cars and seeing what the market looks like, and your brain will start to absorb like this information on relative value and price. Mm-hmm. You'll start to see, okay, this car, why is this one a little bit more expensive? Oh, well, it looks like it's it, you know it's been better maintained and the paint is glossier and the wheels don't have corrosion. So um, but what, this one seems to have really low mileage, but it looks way beat up, what's up? And you need to start like just naturally being able to catalog whether or not a vehicle is worth what it's being asked for. Do those, either of those sites have 
historical data for like sold prices? Not that I've found. Not like okay. on eBay when you're trying to like flip yeah. baseball cards or whatever and you're like, <laughs> what has this sold for before? Yeah. No, I, I haven't used any of that. Okay. I've just used experience and yeah. reps. You need to just search all the time. So for example, this uh, Land Cruiser Prado It's an, that I have on a ship. It's coming next month. It's a 1991 Land Cruiser Prado. It looks so cool, yeah, right? Like, so cool. for people who don't know, the Land Cruiser Prado is a version of the Toyota Land Cruiser that was never sold in America. Um, it eventually evolved into what is now the Lexus GX series. Okay. Um, so the, the modern 2018 Land Cruiser Prado is a Lexus GX, but back in the 90s, they didn't have an equivalent they didn't bring here. It here. Yeah. So it's cool. It looks like an old G-Wagon, yeah. basically. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so I have loved these things. My, uh, as I might have mentioned in the first episode, my daily driver is a Tacoma mm-hmm. uh, TRD off-road. I go off-roading sometimes. And so this Prado just, it's got this retro vibe to it that I dig. And so so not really seriously thinking of bringing one over, but I would look at them pretty regularly, yeah. a couple times a week, and I would just look. There's some really cool ones out there. There's some dealerships that very obviously buy kind of average ones and then fix them up, modify them, repaint them, whatever, and make them look super cool. Yeah. So I would just go look at those and kind of drool over them. Well, in doing that, I kind of built this relative gauge of value for these things. Yeah. And the reason why I got the one that I got that's coming over is because I felt like it was undervalued by probably about $2,000. Yeah. Um, and so I reached out to my exporter in Japan and I was like, hey man, I know you just shipped me a Skyline like yesterday, but I really am interested in this Prado. Can yeah. you go look into it for me? Um, and so he did all everything that we talked about and I pulled the trigger. I yeah. wired him the money, he bought it, and so now it's on a, on a boat. So I was able to do that though because I spent many, many weeks, yeah. months even, building a catalog in my brain so that when I saw that one, it it triggered this, wait a minute, why is this one so cheap? Yeah. And I had to dig deeper and I found out that there's really no good reason yeah. uh, except that. And what I found, what I later found out is that, and this is something that I don't even know much about yet, is the region in Japan where that dealership was located was kind of in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And so I think that what I found was a vehicle that looked and and had all the attributes that I desired and thought were cool, Yeah. but just happened to be located in a region of Japan that was lower demand. Right. So with lower right. demand comes lower price. Like going to Nebraska, some dude's Yeah, it's there. like, yeah. Oh man, I found this really, really like barn find yeah. like MR2 or a whatever. A time capsule, yeah. one would say. <laughs> Not around me, they wouldn't. Uh, but yeah, this barn find of an MR2, and it only has like you know eighty thousand miles and one owner, and it's in Alaska or yeah, someplace, and it's, you know they want nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. So you 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 can make a little money off those things. So, um, so I guess if I was going to have an assignment, if you're going to give me an assignment, yeah, one, you know, we make sure the finances are in order, and I think you touched on something that's really important. Like, don't uh, as with a lot of things. Um, getting to the place where you can pull the trigger quickly means that underneath the surface you've spent a lot of time yep. to gain knowledge and yep. to understand when's the right time to pull yep. it and then having the resources to do it, right? So if you were going to give me an assignment, right? Go on GUNET uh, and then go on Car Sensor mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll we'll post uh, the links uh, in the, in the uh, podcast and in our Instagram or whatever. But... Um, Go out there and start looking at values and look at values over time. Yeah. Right? So you'll get a snapshot one week. You'll get a sampling of cars. You'll kind of narrow down the kind of cars I would want to see and just start checking it out. You might find something unexpected and then start tracking prices 
and, uh, and then we'll come back and take a look at, okay, what am I actually looking at on these websites? And what are the indicators, like you mentioned, the numerical indicators for the, the condition yep. and some of the common characters, you know, what how you can translate them and so on. Yep. And uh, we'll incorporate a little bit of that into the next episode. Awesome. Good? Love it. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for hanging with us for episode two. We will see you soon. Peace. Peace.